Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Unicorns, mega sharks, and dodos, we learn some interesting facts about some unusual animals. Now, unicorns may not be real, but one-horned megafauna were, and we can find out about what was going on them in the past. Plus, dodos get a bit of a bad rap for being quite dumb, but we find out about how they and other birds adapt. Plus, we learn about megalodons and how they manage to survive or not. Whether it be ancient legends, fairy tales, or modern-day children's cartoons, everyone loves unicorns. There's a good reason for that. They take the best parts of a horse and merge it with, well, a fantastic mythical creature, great powers, immortality, and a pretty impressive horn. And unfortunately, they're not a real creature, which is a bit sad, so to say. But we do have rhinoceroses, and rhinos are pretty amazing. Giant hulking beasts of the savannas and plains, from everywhere from Sumatra all the way to Africa. And they are truly magnificent beasts. But they, they're nowhere near Europe where a lot of the mythology about rhino, about unicorns comes from. They're not quite the same, really. Not that big, or they are pretty big, but they're not immensely huge. However, it is entirely possible. And recent scientific evidence, published in the American Journal of Applied Scientists, have actually found that a very large Siberian rhinoceros, a longhorn rhinoceros, could have roamed the Earth just up to about 29,000 years ago across Eurasia, particularly between in the steeps of Russia and joining all the way Central Asia through places like Kazakhstan. And as recently as 29,000 years ago. Now, that, for a bit of context in there, dawn of recorded history is somewhere around 14,000 years ago. So this is well within the realm of both where humans, prehistoric humans existed, and we had records of passed down through culture, either through writing, cave paintings, or uh, myths and legends. So the Alasthamirium Sibiricum was believed actually to have actually vanished around 350,000 years ago in the Pliocene, in the Pleistocene scene. Basically, where a lot of the other megafauna, these giant, huge mammals like, so, um, like saber-toothed tigers and megalodons and other huge animals that took over after the dinosaurs but were in fact mammals. And these giant mammals have all gone extinct and changed size. Uh, but like the woolly mammoth, it's believed that the Elasothemerium, this uh, giant Siberian rhinoceros, actually did last much longer, especially out in the steeps of Russia. And what makes this so impressive is that this giant rhinoceros is probably about 30% bigger than most actual current rhinoceroses we have, about 4.5 metres long and over 2 metres tall. But it had an incredible horn, uh, what really does look like, like a big cone that's about a metre long, sticking out of its head. And that, from the fossils that we've found, do indicate something that would be pretty much consistent with what we understand a unicorn to look like. So the recent dating done on this fossil found in Kazakhstan by researchers from the Tomsk State University have dated this to be well within 29,000 years ago, which basically overlaps with prehistoric humans. Now, could this be what we have legends and myths and cave paintings about? Possibly. Uh, this doesn't really answer anything aside from the fact that we do have now good confirmed fossils of the creature existed. But this giant four ton, two metre tall, five metre long vegetarian behemoth may very well have been part of the influence for the stories of the unicorn. If nothing else, we found out that our human ancestors shared our earth 
with a lot of interesting creatures that we now no longer have. So this joins the woolly mammoth with other creatures that uh, we would have shared our paths with and that have over time died out. Now everyone loves a good trashy science fiction movie and, and none of them are more impressive than you know, like Mega Shark or Shark the Puss or any of those ridiculous science movies about giant sharks that really take the concept popularised by Jaws about this terrorising beast of a massive shark and popularise it even more. But Mega Sharks are actually a thing. In the past, not currently. The largest shark in the history of the planet, the Cartocharales Megalodon, lived about 23 million and 2.6 million years ago. So, much in the same way as the Sabaean rhinoceros was a giant creature, one of the megafauna that inhabited our planet before we kind of settled down to the sizes now, this megalodon shark was a behemoth of the seas. And it could reach body lengths of up to 18 metres long, which is definitely something to be scared about getting into the water with. But all of a sudden, it, it basically became extinct. And research recently has overturned the original hypothesis that it was perhaps caused by climate change. But universities from the re researchers from the University of Zurich have examined the geographical distribution of the megalodon over time and, and reached the following conclusion. The shark became extinct because the diversity of its prey decreased and basically it couldn't find enough to eat to keep it alive. There were less prey, less types of prey, and new predators started to cut in on the scene and become competitors. And to do this, they analysed over 200 records from across the globe. So Catalina Pimiento from the Patological Institute of Museum, the University of Zurich, assessed basically 200, million, 200 megalodon records from museums and databases across the planet, ranging from 20 million years ago and upwards. And what they found is that in the early Miocene, about 16 million years ago, they were mainly found, these giant sharks, in the northern hemispheres in the waters of the coast of America, around Europe and in the Indian Ocean. But later, they, they got all the way over to Asia and Australia and South American coasts. But basically, it peaked around the middle Miocene. And after that, basically, it continually declined until around 5 million years ago, once the, the emergence of the glacial period, the big ice age that happened in the, in the Pliocene. Now, what was interesting is that despite all these climate variations that were occurring, they didn't seem to have too much of an impact on the types of fossils they found across the world. It didn't really have any impact on the density or the range of the giant sharks. They didn't, numbers didn't decline when it got really cold, for example, in the Pliocene, nor did they increase when the water got warmer. Instead, researchers from the University of Zurich hypothesised that what actually caused the population to shrink was that the numerous smaller marine species started to disappear. And when you're 18 metres long, you need to eat an awful of food to keep going. And smaller, more agile, less bulky and energy intensive predators appeared such as the great white shark which were big but were much better at competing for the increasingly scarce food resources i didn't need to eat anywhere near as much and so this shows maybe and gives you an insight into why some of these megafauna died out it's not because the world got to be a more boring place and we got to have less amazing mythical huge behemoths wandering the planet but more from an energy conservation perspective, increased competition and decreasing resources or changing resources meant that, well, you have to do the best with what you've got. And if you're 18 meters long, you have to eat an awful lot of food. So sometimes these giant monsters, both the sea and the land, 
have died out from a combination of not just climate sources, but also the impact of the food sources themselves. And that's an interesting lesson. If you are a giant monster roaming a planet, well, you need to make sure that you don't eat all of the food because otherwise you're going to do yourself out of a job. When it comes to survival, it often takes a certain set of skills or specialised abilities to survive, particularly in nature. And we've known for a long time that birds are some of the most innovative and problem-solving creatures known to man. I'm not sure if you've seen videos of crows fishing out keys to unlock cages or using hooks, holding them in their beaks to be able to lift stuff up, but they're incredibly crafty creatures. It's no surprise, considering that the, the evolutionary line and link between dinosaurs and birds, particularly raptors. But researchers from McGill University have studied the differences between city birds and rural birds to see if the town mouse, the city mouse, or in this case bird, is smarter than their country cousin. And why would that be the case? Well, because in the city, in urban environments, you have a lot more challenges to deal with, and it can be a lot tougher to survive. So if you want to survive there, you have to be very clever. So rural or semi-urban areas have the benefits of having a lot of trees and resources and food and bugs and animals in their natural environment, making it quite easy for birds to live there. But once you get closer semi-urban, urban environments, then these start to disappear and you're left with non-traditional food sources and new problems to solve. So researchers from the McGill University took two groups of birds and studied them using associative learning tasks and innovative problem-solving tasks. The innovative test is basically considered like a real-life test of application. Can these birds solve problems that they may encounter? And they did this by studying bullfinches. And there's some great videos of this online, so you can actually see these clever birds in action. But their research found that not only were the birds from urbanised areas better at problem-solving tasks than bullfinches from rural environments, but also they had better immunity. The researchers suspected that since the urban birds were more innovative, there would be some kind of trade-off. Um, maybe a reduced immune system or reduced weakness in other areas. But what they found is, no, they're actually pretty much stronger in immune systems than the regional birds as well. And the reason why they assumed that it would probably be a trade-off is that both genetic traits, they, they come at a cognitive and a, a physiological cost. So it's not just you, don't, you can't have everything. But they do actually, in fact have at all it seems urban birds have have got that ability over their regional cousins and so to do this what they actually studied were basically a bunch of bullfinches that they were captured from various parts of the caribbean island of barbados uh, and ones that had been around the urban areas and ones that had been around the regional areas and studied them quite closely recording how they solve these challenges so this is really an interesting insight into how creatures respond and adapt to changes in their environments including dealing with and living in world with humans and how this can bring about new aspects of species we didn't realize previously. Now speaking of bird intelligence, there's one creature that pretty much is universally known as pretty much one of the dumbest things around dumb as a dodo is a phrase and this is because uh, 
in the late 1500s and 1600s, basically the small birds on the island of Mauritius were pretty easily and pretty quickly wiped out by sailors who came to the island. And since then, these birds have had the reputation of being not very bright, to say the least. But researchers from the American Museum of Natural History and partnering with others at Stony Brook University have worked together to actually analyse what we do know about the dodo by studying their brain size and by studying the actual brains themselves using uh, CT scanning. And this is quite interesting. So what they did was they studied the brains of the dodos from the specimens that we do have. Obviously, they're all died out, but we do have a couple of specimens. And by looking at them and comparing them to common pigeons found on city streets, and common pigeons are pretty smart. Basically, out of the results of these tests, the brains, both size and structure and complexity from what we could determine from the scans, were pretty much, as you would expect, for a bird of its size. What that means is that the brain's size and complexity is pretty much in line with standard estimates for birds, meaning it's no more less or greater. It's not any dumber than the average bird. It's not any smarter either, but it's pretty much quite typical. And that's good news for the dodo because it means it's not some extraordinarily stupid, dumb bird. It's actually pretty much quite crafty. And as we've discovered before, birds themselves can be quite intelligent. What they did find when studying as well, that they had large and differentiated olfactory bulbs, areas of the brain dealing with smells. And this is because this type of bird and some of its other relative birds that we can study more easily uh, were ground dwellers. And that means they relied on smell rather than vision to find food. And so what this means is that there's a lot of interesting things wrapped up in the dodo and some of our old assumptions may not exactly be right. The lack of the dodo's ability to cope with invaders armed with powerful rifles and a very desire to eat them means that they're we're probably facing greater challenges that even the smartest birds couldn't cope with. Maybe take a second thought about the dodo and give it some more credit than it perhaps deserves. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We learned about Megalodon survival, the potential inspiration for the unicorn in our recent human history, and dodos getting a bad rap for their intelligence and crafty little birds in Barbados. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.